Hey listeners, we're starting something new and exciting. If you've been enjoying our show, be sure to sign up for our new monthly newsletter. Visit our website at www.beckettsbabies.com to sign up for our newsletter today. Thanks for listening. You're listening to another episode of Beckett's Babies, a playwriting podcast. Every week we discuss plays we love, interview theater artists, and share our thoughts on playwriting and theater. We're your hosts, Sarah Cho. And Sam Collier. This week we're doing a topic episode led by a returning guest on the show. You may know him from our previous episodes. It's Ryan! Ryan's a playwright, performer, songwriter, theatrical jack-of-all-trades, currently living in Chicago. This is his third time on Beckett's Babies, and we're so excited to have him back. His work has been developed with Teatro Vivo, Pride Films and Plays, Prop Theater, and others. He'll also be developing a revamped original work with The New Colony in Chicago later next year, and is currently working on new songs and a new novel during a long-needed theater break. Yeah, so Ryan returns with a special topic in the songwriting process, uh, what it means to write a song for theater, for yourself, for uh, anything else really. And Ryan will share his own personal history with songwriting and techniques and tricks he's learned that work for him and may work for you, listener. So Ryan, welcome back. Hi everyone. Hi. <laughs> good to be good to be back. I feel like I feel like Meryl Streep a little bit. You are like Meryl Streep. Coming back to that podium, hoping she she wins for Into the Woods, except she knows <laughs> she shouldn't win for Into the Woods, but it's okay. She'll just be back next year. Um, yeah, so I'm excited to talk about something that I am. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I like to say it's like something that I know a lot, and yet simultaneously don't know a lot about mm. so this is it's a it's an interesting place for me to be you definitely fact. seem to know a lot about it I'm just gonna put that out there mm-hmm. thank you you're very kind but thank you it's yeah it'll be fun yeah so let's start from the beginning what's your personal history uh first memory with songwriting and music okay so I like to say that before I did theater, uh, I was a music person first. Um, So my first memory, I vividly recall my first memory being uh, I was at a window in an apartment and I was just like coming up with lyrics about clouds or something. I must've been like five or six. And I was coming up with lyrics about clouds and like wondering where they go. Some stupid stuff like that. And I turn around and my dad is recording me <laughs> singing and he plays it back. And at that point I never sang again. Um, really? Not until I was a, not until I was a senior in high school. Uh, Cause I was so embarrassed that this, and they thought it was just so fun. Um, and then my mother wanted me to play piano because she all like, my parents are from Brazil. They were from the farm country. They didn't, they never had an opportunity to play an instrument, but here my mom wanted me to play piano. So I took piano for 
a few years. And I stopped around beginning of high school because my mom then confessed why she wanted me to take piano, which was mm-hmm. because she wanted me to play Bette Midler's The Rose at her funeral. <gasps> oh my God. What? Okay, I feel like you maybe told me this before, but um, I'm shocked all over again because I had forgotten that. <laughs> that is yeah. shocking. It's... Um, yeah, so that does not inspire confidence for a teenager to continue with piano. <laughs> uh, so right around um, right around this time when I was in high school, like the 2000s, American Idol was a thing. Um, and I was really intrigued by American Idol because, oh my God, here are these, quote, everyday people seeking success. And there was something that... Um, I guess uh, one of the judges, Randy Jackson, always told or encouraged the contestants to do, which is to make a song your own. Mm. And, you know, I thought like it was like stewing in my brain. And then senior year comes around and that's when I started playwriting, uh, writing crap plays. And then it was discovered uh, during a drama club meeting. And I thought no one was listening that I was... uh, I was singing and I was being overheard and my drama teacher found out and she was so angry with me. She's like, we could have put like, you have no idea how good you are. And the fact that you just came up with this. Mm. Um, So then I didn't really touch it in undergrad and it wasn't until grad school with you all that I decided, well, because I knew that (laughs) I knew that no one was ever going to do a gallery of any of my work. So it's like, all right, we'll just do workshops. And you know what? I, I'm here. I'm just going to do music. Like, I'll do a musical. So the first musical that <laughs> that we put up, that I uh, did was uh, We'll Never Be Heard Again. But it was a nice, fun way to learn about it because I remember, so this was the time when Jeff Whitty of uh, Avenue Q had come over yeah. and talked to us about mm-hmm. his uh, songwriting style through Avenue Q, which was pretty simple. It was um, find a song you know and kind of riff off it and then put your own words to it and thus a song. And so I was like, okay, well, if this song, if this, uh, if this musical is going to have a little bit of a karaoke bent, which I freaking love doing mm-hmm. because that is, that is my thing, um, I am going to go ahead and uh, play around with it. And I played around with it. It was entertaining for an audience. Um, I'm sure Art and Dare thought very differently. Uh, it was a lot of fun. I really liked it. was it. a lot of fun. It was like hokey, stupid fun. But it was fun nonetheless. And so at that point, I was like, okay. And then Megan Gogarty had also then encouraged me. Also a professor at Iowa and former guest on Beckett's Babies. (laughs) Yes. Um, Well, she had then encouraged me. She's like, like, there's some really cool stuff. Because she also was my advisor on that show. Uh, And so she was like, you should do another one. I was like, all right. So I did another musical, which was Sea of Trees. And that was the workshop. And that went, and that I worked with a composer, which is at, who is Adam Phillips. Um, who's an amazing guitarist uh, and musician. And we collaborated on this like anime rock musical and it was cool. It was original music. Uh, We had a really great cast. None of the faculty got it. Um, I think that is, I think you're 
overstating it. I thought it was a really successful. I heard stories, yeah. but not. But it's fine. <laughs> I, but I. But it's fine because you know what? The students all cried when the stuffed animal got killed at the end of first. <laughs> so as far as I'm concerned, I was yeah. doing my job. Um, and then we to- and then I toyed around it with it again in the last workshop that I had, which was the the cancer play, and I played around with uh, songwriting. And it was always it's always been something that I have songwriting has always been something that I've been attached to, and I didn't really give it. I gave it some experimental credence and it wasn't until I went to the Sewanee writers conference where I had a slot and they wanted me to do like a five minute piece. So I did a five minute, like I wouldn't call it spoken word, but there was a song section storytelling section about it. Mm -hmm. And I remember one of the uh, playwriting advisors, uh, playwright Ken Weitzman, who's also an amazing wonderful supportive brilliant playwright um came up to me and he's just like that's what you need to do Mm. like Mm. that right there like that what you we just saw that's you and i was like oh cool great so i didn't necessarily think much of it until i then uh joined el semiguero and then i we were tasked with doing one project and the one project i wanted to do was a one-man musical so that's how Jellyfish Queer came to be, where I was essentially coming up with my own music, like, and I couldn't find a songwriter for it, like a, I couldn't find a composer. And it was really frustrating me because the way I think about music is super eclectic. It's a little mm. rock heavy, but it's like, it matches whatever. I want to try to match whatever the mood and the rhythm and the place in the area is. I want to make sure dramaturgically mm-hmm. it's correct. And it's really hard to do that. Um, So I was like, well, screw it. If I can't find someone who will compose with me, I will just compose them myself uh, through my garage band on my my MacBook. um, And I'll just perform it. And I did a reading of it. And it wasn't perfect, but it was so freeing. Yeah. Oh, like, so I'm great. So like, so this is awesome. And it felt very much like me. And I was at the time also very sick of people turning me down in terms of playwriting because they didn't quite understand how to, quote, do my plays. Mm. So I was like, all right, let me show you how this is done. Because your plays are so ambitious and um, well, they're amb- imaginative, I think. Well, they one are, question but- I have, Ryan, is I'm, what you, when you were doing that, piece what do you feel like you learned as a performer or writer composer I think I I I finally understood that I had a distinct voice fine Mm. like when you're saying your own stuff it's fair and that I think I had a lot more power coming from the personal out than I thought I did Mm. um and that it was, and that it was okay for me to accept that, and it was okay to be for me to accept the kind of songwriter that I was, um, and the kind of singer that I was. And the other thing that I ended up having to learn was uh, I need to learn how to play an instrument and fast, mm. uh, because I like GarageBand is a great tool, but it's so time consuming yeah. to have mm. to think about what kinds of things. So. 
I put a Facebook message out to people and it's like, I'm thinking about taking guitar. And a friend of mine, Luca Brazzetti's, uh, basically donated his guitar to me. That's amazing. Uh, and then very, and he's like, I'll do it if you take guitar classes at the Old Town School of Folk Music, and so, which we're starting the very next day. So I signed up for those courses, took the guitar, and went through all, five, like for a year, learned all that I could. Well, I didn't learn everything about a guitar because I'm still not the greatest at finger picking, but... I learned enough about guitar for me to then take songwriting classes mm. and really, really hone into what it meant to write songs for myself, but also write songs in terms of process because those courses, like they're just tons of exercises to just get out of your head. And it just taught me to look at music much more critically mm-hmm. and much more in terms of process and technique and machinery, uh, and mood, and story, which I think for me right now kind of encompasses what I want to do now, which is, you know, create more pieces with a sort of musical intention um, and narrative. Even now, thinking about what I'm going to develop with the new colony, there is a certain communication and musicality. I think it always stemmed from my musicality as a writer. Uh, to, that songwriting just came, just was a natural development and a nice fit for me. So to be able to do that and see how I can apply it to novel writing, or I can apply it to theater, or I can apply it to my own songwriting. Mm-hmm. I think it's, I, it's song, songwriting and composition are really powerful tools. Um, and I think it's important for people to note that. It's a nice coming a full circle where like now my dad doesn't listen to me at all, but now I just <laughs> listen to myself. Well, he's missing uh, out. Thank mm-hmm. you. It's all right. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's my personal history thus far uh, with songwriting and to be continued, I guess you could say. Cool. Um, maybe we could talk a bit more about um, songwriting, like the structures and forms that you've, learned or the techniques you've learned along the way? Yeah. Um, so songwriting, so one of the great, so Steve Dawson, who is my t- songwriting teacher at Old Town School of Folk Music for like three or four sessions, uh, basically gave us a whole spiel about all the different types of songs you could write. Um, so there's free verse, right? It's just essentially, so songwriting can essentially, a song is essentially a poem, but sung. Um, so there's the free verse where, you know, you, nothing has to rhyme per se. It just has to sound, it just sounds like a poem. And there's some, lots of really, really beautiful songs that do that. Um, and then you have like a song where basically there's no chorus structure, but it's just like, there's always a repeated two lines. Um, Blowing in the Wind by Bob Dylan is a perfect example of that. Mm-hmm. Um, where there's no real chorus, it's just a refrain that keeps coming back after every verse. And Bob Dylan is notorious. Yeah, a lot it. of his songs have that form. It's a very old form, I think, because it's um, you know it probably predates written lyrics. And there is something very there's something I I find it's one of the more powerful storytelling narrative structures. Yeah, yeah. Um. Because it, it does recall a certain like 
English, Irish, Scottish sort of ballad. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And you can improvise. You can like throw in a new verse and then return to the familiar refrain. Mm-hmm. And then, and then I think about, um, so then I think about, so on the Bob Dylan train, I think about the hurricane. I love that train. <laughs> so I think about his song. Yeah, I think hurricane. about his song "Hurricane." Yeah. Uh, so "Hurricane" isn't quite a refrainy sort of piece, but what it does is like the, it, there's always a bridge that it comes back to, right? Um, here comes the story of the hurricane, but the, like that line never is quite that particular interjection is never quite the same. Mm-hmm. It's got the same rhythm, mm-hmm. um, but it's always changing. And this is just to help propel the story forward. It's almost like an aside to an audience while we go into the story mm-hmm. uh, in the regular verses. And I think that was the, uh, that's a really powerful thing about bridges or interjections is that performatively uh, they can pr- they can make really powerful asides or completely change your per- um, your perspective or where you want the audience to shift its attention to before coming back to the story so that it adds or propels more emotional or expositional aspect to what you're hearing mm-hmm. as the narrative mm-hmm. unfolds if that makes sense um, mm-hmm. so that hurricane for me is like one of the most blatant examples um, and then I'm going to go away from Bob Dylan <laughs> uh, because then we go into like verse choruses, which are traditional. You know, I have a verse, I have a chorus. If I'm doing Katy, like throw a rock at Katy Perry or Britney Spears, like everything has a, has a very set structure. Um, the important thing about that, I guess, is with a chorus, like it's a, a chorus. I think it, for me, it, it didn't really hit until I took songwriting that a chorus is really like the climactic culmination of things. Hmm. And particularly when a theater sense, like sure you can have the chorus be the same words and same rhythms, but with musical theater, you can tweak it a little bit to add that sort of narrative propulsion other than like coming back to it. So it's, so choruses in a sense are either, if you're doing a, a sort of cut and paste job of it, a cut and paste job is not a bad thing, but a chorus is you're returning and re um, you're returning, reifying and repeating the, it's like Susan Laurie Parks's idea of repetition, right? If you're going to come back to the repetition, what if, if repetition is like an ocean wave, it's going to bring back more stuff from the mm. ocean you have to deal with. Oh, that's such a great image. Is, well, the verses provide that material within the ocean and the chorus is just washing it with the same sort of wave structure. It's that the verses are just feeding more material that the choruses are supposed to reiterate, repeat, and reemphasize for you. Um, um, sometimes it's also like a coming, so it's either like a coming out or a coming into oneself as well. So it can be an externalized or an internalized. Uh, I feel like if, Part of me, it's like if I have an internalized chorus, it's something that's very personal, uh, a personal reminder of um, what uh, what's to be done mm-hmm. or what's to happen. And uh, Miranda Lambert's The House That Built, that Built Me is a really good example of that, where, you know, I thought if I could touch this place or feel it, 
moving this inside me must start healing out here it's like i'm someone else i finally think that i found myself if i could just walk in i swear i'll leave won't take nothing but a memory from the house that built me i can't hit that one note but um but there's something really internal like there's an externalizing of I wish I could do this I wish I could do that and then it kind of brings itself back in Mm -hmm. Um, there's an active shrinking or like trying to collect oneself and I always like to think of choruses um, as some like it there's got to be some sort of physical action that you're doing so with the house that built me it's like I am get like I am touching the walls, but I'm gathering them all back into myself because mm-hmm. it is this house that builds me. So there's like a there's like a I am a hoarding all this memory into myself. Um, if it's waking up in Vegas by Katy Perry, I'm just shouting at someone to like I'm like pushing through stuff is how I picture it. So there's always some sort of movement that a chorus is supposed to provide. Mm -hmm. It's an old act. It's an old direction thing where it's like a good direction is one that like is a literal physical, like you have, you can't do anything but physicalize it. So I feel like if a chorus is going to a core, a good chorus helps do that sort of movement for you. Mm -hmm. It's a big flashing, like, this is what the song is about. This is what it's gonna do. I'm moving something. Um, and then a ver- then verse choruses with bridges. Bridges again offer new perspective shifts, uh, or new things to like, or counterpoints uh, to the verse chorus, or even a, a repeating sort of structure. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the popular ones now are uh, raps and choruses. So you could be, um, you could have a rap with a, like, Gangsta's Paradise is a great example <laughs> of um, a chorus that really solidifies a, it's a, again, a, cho- a chorus that solidifies a, a message that is repeated in order to create some sort of action or realization Mm. Um, when you're rap, but then you have verse like raps where raps function as bridges and they are, I find them really like it really shakes up (laughs) uh, the way we think about like, if you're going to introduce Mm. a rap in a song in the bridge, it shakes up everything. Um, and I think it's like, it does like, well, it be- sounds kind of like what you're saying is that when the chorus comes back each time, ideally, even though it's, we're returning or we're repeating, it's contextualized differently or it's bringing in new information or, um, the, the intervening verse has kind of changed the way we think about the chorus. Exactly. And you can either, and it should, I, I, I wouldn't, I don't want to say it should, I don't want to prescribe it, but it, it kind of has, I think like, I try to think of choruses as having this propulsive effect. Like you're trying to drive at, you're trying to drive at an action or drive at 
and a concept or a conclusion mm-hmm. and the verses are just feeding you that information. Oh. Um, and it's always driving that point. The only times you, you can counterpoint it with a bridge eventually to change the perspective once the chorus comes back, or you could have the core or some people are real cute about it and um, have the chorus change at the very end mm. to reflect that, to reflect what happens. Or if you want to do it in a compositional sense, the key change is always the fun one. Uh, when you change the key and all of a sudden the color of the person, you've literally changed the color of the person, of the, sh- of of the exact same experience by just modulating the pitch or yeah. modulating the speed. Like it's, it's a more backgrounded uh, effect as opposed to foreground that's literally in the text. So there's lots of techniques you can utilize them. It's just to what end do you want to create that change? Do you want to create that change in terms of an emotional color? You can, if you are literally restructuring the narrative sure change words or put in a bridge to like screw up the narrative a little bit and force us to either return to a chorus that all of a sudden i it's not what i thought it was Mm -hmm. as an audience member or i double down as an audience member Mm -hmm. um despite that fact so you're creating this really wonderful tension um so you can really create different colors of tension, particularly in that transition and that relationship between bridge, chorus, and even composition and chorus throughout a song. Ryan, do you watch The Voice? Do I watch? I don't. I don't watch The Voice as much as I should. Used to. Um, uh, I used to watch it though. I, yeah. I used to like look at voice videos <laughs> yeah, in, in the live. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I. Yeah, I have I haven't been watching The Voice until this uh this season and I've I've converted Nick to watch The Voice with me. He hates reality or comp- singing competitions, but he like he likes he looks forward to The Voice. Um what's different was, about it? It um it's the way the judges it's like the in the beginning process the contestants come on and they pick the judge if they get picked instead of the judges having picking them. It's like this nice reversal oh. thing, but it's more fun. He but like, that makes him like it better. Yeah. But it only happens in the this, beginning uh-huh. though. And then it like, yeah. And then because it, like a regular competition. Um, but there's this one uh, part where I remember. So Julia Michaels comes on as like a, a guest mentor and she's talking to the singers on the show and she's like, talking about tone and how tone is when you like listen to the radio and you hear music tone is supposed to be like the singer's like signature like you magically recognize like oh that's Gwen Stefani oh that's uh Britney Spears you know like you just they're so recognizable and 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 that first time like I like oh that's I didn't know what tone was until like she kind of set put it in that perspective so my question is is Ryan do you feel like you found your tone? Do you found your signature during this process? Do you think good you know question? <laughs> That's a, a good long question. Setup. <laughs> um, no, it's okay. Performance wise, yes. Uh, like if you're asking me to sing a song, mm. like in karaoke, 
the running joke in karaoke is I sound like uh like if Rob Thomas and Chris Daughtry had a child. Uh, <laughs> Rob Thomas of Matchbox 20. So I'm a very like 90s rock kind of person. And then every so often I'll sing like that song from Who Framed Roger Rabbit and it'll just freak people out a little bit. Um, but in terms of songwriting, I mean, Sea of Trees, when I did that in grad school, was probably the first time where like... Frankie Rose, who Sarah and Sam and I all know, who was a brilliant undergrad, uh, who was the music director for that show, his mother came to see the show and she came up to me. She's like, I don't know why, but that was so clearly you. Every Mm. song was so clearly you. And I feel like, (laughs) Mm. I feel like now my signature is I just do sad songs. my sad songs always have this bitter like just like my plays which i find you definitely you're really good at melancholy bittersweet yeah like Mm -hmm. bittersweet melancholy where even like happy endings aren't quite the happiest Mm -hmm. um that's just because i think that's just how life is um but but i find that that bittersweetness is translated into my songwriting and that's become my signature is like this bittersweet um sort of this bittersweet pill to swallow um and it's so that's become my signature in terms of writing um i have a tendency i have been told that i have a ten i i have a tendency to treat so there are some people who like write songs with like extended vowels, which is a little more poppy, like letting things slide or letting mm. things, or like, uh, yeah, what is it? You know, some of the really more contemporary stuff. It's like, I'm just going to repeat a line over and over again as the chorus. Yeah. That's not me. I can't do that. But what I do do, I, I, my lyrics tend to be a little bit, on the ver- more verbose side. Um, and it's not so much that I'm trying to fit. <laughs> but it's not because, so, I love language. Exactly. They're linguistic. They're linguistic plays. I like using more alliteration and assonance when I can. Yeah. Um, I like using more slant rhymes uh, than straight rhymes. So slant rhymes are rhymes that are not exact, but they sound pretty similar. Um which usually in musical theater is a no-no. <laughs> um, like you need to have, like I was always told like, you have to have perfect rhymes. Really? Rhyme the point. Yeah. Which I, to some extent I get, because I think if you're going to really drive home a point, mm. uh, like a perfect rhyme really like is perfect, is exact. But I don't think that should be the case in every single verse of every single song. Mm. I feel like slant rhymes are really powerful because you can distort perceptions in those little itsy-bitsy shifts in how something sounds or sounds not quite perfect, but just enough. Mm -hmm. Um, It still carries enough of your tension. Um, So I like using slant rhymes a lot. Um, I'll even use them in choruses sometimes, even though I shouldn't. Um, That's because I'm also part of the pop sort of idea where it's just like, eh, it's close enough. Um, I, there are certain chords that I like, 
<laughs> uh, I like G's and F's a lot. Mm. Um, that's just like, I feel like everybody's got their one, like a lot of people have their own favorite chord they like to use in songwriting and F's and G's are tends to be the ones F's, G's and B majors, B minors are the ones I like to use the most. G in particular is the one I like to use the most because it's a malleable chord. Um, in fact, I think it's, I think it's G at 11 that G at nine. I don't know. I'm still learning the guitar chords again. Um, so I think that, like in terms of signatures, that's what I, I like to do is like bittersweet melancholy stuff. Um, literature and assonance wherever I can. Uh, and a lot of use of slant rhyme uh, mm-hmm. that channels just perception. And it's just something, I don't know. There's a certain cleverness to it. I guess. Um, yeah. I try to be about as clever to your writing. As to your playwriting, too. Yeah. It, the songwriting and playwriting go hand in hand with it. In terms of composition, that composition, I feel like for me, that's where it changes dramatically. Uh, because I'm not Joni Mitchell. Joni Mitchell's a whiz. Uh, <laughs> compositions and lyrics. Um, I can't do, like, I can't do the stuff she does. Um, but what I can do is I do like to, I try to experiment as much as I can, uh, with, and try to figure out, uh, certain structures, knocking on heaven's doors, compositional structure. I tend to go to a lot, uh, which is a very simple four chord structure, uh, with a few little frills with my pinky here and there. Uh, just to give it some color uh, and then usually going into the minor uh, when it comes to bridges and whatnot. And I usually, I try not to do a key change because I feel like my voice does enough of that work for me that I don't need to do that in the composition. Hmm. So I think that's also a signature of mine is I don't really like to do key changes when I do. It's cool, but I do that more with the force and improvisation that my own voice provides in really, really heightening the tension with rhythms. That's pure performance. So I tend to rely also on performance just as much as I rely on the fundamentals. Wow. Should we play one of your songs? Yeah, I was just thinking that. Yeah. Uh, this is uh, your song, What a Brother Should. I'm going to play uh, a minute or two of it. And then let's let's talk about this, the what was the process like writing this song and maybe a little history about it, behind it. Sure. Sure, no problem. Parents only wish the best Or so they say You acted bad but they couldn't reach you They hit me and said Expected me to discipline you like I understood what it meant to do what they could. I didn't get to be what a brother should. Teachers only wish 
the best So they intended I was straight and they wanted you the same way Then they demanded Perfection in your hands like an artisan But I really wrote your essays how they should have been Didn't get to be what a brother should. So that was Ryan's song. Wow, what a brother so should. <laughs> Ryan. Yes. That was so beautiful, and I could totally hear the you know when you said about melancholy and like there's yeah. so much emotion um, behind the words. So can you tell us about um, what the inspiration was, like where it came from, and. Uh, the, the process of writing the song? Yeah. So uh, it was an assignment for songwriting. Uh, the assignment was, it was very simple. Uh, write an apology to someone who deserves an apology, someone close. And uh, the one person that I was meaning to apologize to uh, is my brother, uh, just because I always felt growing up that I was always a third parent to him and never, um, never, uh, I just was never a brother. I just wasn't that kind of, I, we didn't have that kind of relationship. We have that now and it's a little bit, it's a lot better, mm. but we didn't have that growing up. Uh, so basically I, uh, at that point, um, oh, and there was one other catch to it. It had to be in the verse refrain style. Mm. Um, which is fine. Like that's, that's always a, a really good assignment is like, here is, here is what you want. And here is what the song is to accomplish, but here is a structure you need it to have because it changes how you go about it. Um, so it, it would be so easy to do a verse and chorus, but this is a refrain is a powerful storytelling device. So I just, um, just like playwriting, I I wrote it down on paper, um, and I was trying to think of what were the specific moments, uh, because a repeating refrain type of structure helps with moment like specifically zeroing in on select moments mm-hmm. um, as beats. Uh, so for me, it's just like all right, focus on when I had to write my paper, write a paper for my brother because my parents told me to instead of letting him fail. Oh, when he went to the Marines. Uh, Oh, when he came back and we got into a huge argument. Oh, when he like called me back after we hadn't spoken in months, uh, years even. Uh, Recently, when he uh, invited me to Christmas in Colorado. Uh, And just like looking at those moments... And I always knew that the one line was, I never got to be, I didn't get to be what a brother should. Uh, it was always going to be that line. And that's part of the cool thing about the process is, so one of the techniques you can do is like, so there are three ways to come about sort of how a song happens. So you either are melody first, lyrics first, or if you're Stephen Sondheim and you're brilliant, it all comes together at the same time. <laughs> Sometimes it happens. 
Um, this one was lyric first. Uh, so I didn't get to be with a brother should, and I kept toying around. So one of the techniques is you sort of improvise with your lyrics that you come up with your head, if you're lyric oriented. And so I just kept sort of figuring it out, what the melody was for those that lyric. And then I finally figured it out, recorded it, and then built around that lyric and that melody that I knew was going to happen. And I just, then the other thing that came about was something always did the best or so they should something or they, or they intended like it was that rhythm. And I knew that was the beginning. And so once I got the beginning and the ends of the verses, I started just structuring the lyrics from there. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's how it came cool. about. And then there's a bridge. Uh, there are br- little miniature bridges that show out, um, which then I just sort of changed. Uh, I went into a minor and then melody wise. And then it was just a very simple contrast of like, you were something, I was something, we were both, but why did I have to do this? And you like, and let you do this, which was the perception. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's, that was going to be the aside of, I acknowledged that we were different, but we were actually the same because of that. Why did I hurt you? even though we were pretty much the same person. Um, And it just, it worked narratively. It worked so beautifully to have, to chart these moments, have these little asides and the final aside having been, having to be the most dramatic one that forces everything to be quiet. And then you just go into the last verse and the refrain that, inches his way to a resolution Mm. um and that's just how the song came to be uh and it was i was really happy with with how that came about so it came up as a giant apology letter uh that didn't require a d or something something um has your brother heard the song he has never heard the song whoa it's a hallmark of my it's a hallmark of my uh it's a hallmark of my uh my songwriting. No one ever gets to <laughs> the people who actually are intended never get to hear the songs that I that I write. It's also not his style. Um, <laughs> but it's an I, apology to him. Yeah. Do you ever it, send it to him? What, except I know what he's going to say and that what he's going to say to it is like, oh, why'd you have to be so gay? I'm like <laughs> I'm just like Spoken because like I am. Sibling. I don't know. Yeah, it's just uh, so. It for me, it's just like yeah. So yeah, and that's okay. Yeah. I like I'm a fan of unrequited stuff. So this is it's it's fine. That it doesn't requite. Um, I hope one day he gets to listen to it. But who knows? Who knows anymore? Maybe after uh, COVID is over and. You'll like set up a time and place at a bar or something on stage. You're like, I might bust out the so, song and sing it to him, and then I'll so, put the spotlight on your brother. Uh, uh, <laughs> this is for you. Sarah's so gonna be filming. Thing. <laughs> so be fun filming. thing. So the old time of school folk music songwriting classes kind of have a final, mm-hmm. and it used to be that we all went to a bar and we had to play the songs live. Wow! For Whoa. everyone. Uh, 
it is uh we did it now in zoom and that's cute but uh but who knows like i've always thought about like it's one of my things to do before i pass or go on to the next project is to find a like to do a a set list at a venue um you know, and I've been thinking about like compiling the songs that I've written into some sort of album. Cool. Yeah, you know, but I re- that requires like a significant recording effort that I should like at that point of the collaboration process. That's something I need other help with, as opposed to me doing all of it myself. I just it works just like with playwriting. I would not want to direct my own show. I would want to collaborate with others to help out with that. Well, Ryan. There might be people listening who are really interested in starting to write their own songs, either as standalone songs or part of a musical. So what advice or tips do you have um, either about getting started or um, how they can develop the craft further? Yeah, um, I would say it, uh, learning an instrument is really helpful. Um and I like granted I learned piano under the worst circumstances um but uh learning a guitar was super helpful because it's mobile and I took to it a lot easier Mm. um so just finding and you can do it with any instrument it just helps it helps with keeping you in pace uh it helps with like you can instantly sort of see how it works mm-hmm. um, with your hands and whether it's doable. You can always translate it to a computer, but I, it, it's just like, it's just like writing on paper. You don't have to necessarily censor. You just kind of feel where organically it goes. Um, so I find it super helpful to be able to construct that for yourself. Um, learning to be comfortable with improvisation, I think is a really key skill and to not, um, not second guess yourself or to beat yourself up uh, because it's just, it's just play. If you find that you have a melody in your head, sing the melody as often as you want and see where it goes. Mm. Make sure to get it down on paper. Uh, If a lyric comes to you and you just play and the lyrics suck. Cool. That's fine. At least there's a melody attached to it. Record that. And then you can sit down with the lyric that you want and then tweak to that. Um, and you can and how important is it that people be able to read and write music? Do you think I can't read music to save my life? I think I knew so, that. Yeah, that's really cool. But you can still compose. I mean, you can still, you can still compose. Um, yeah. with a guitar, it's easier because you just have to know the fingers. You just have to know mm-hmm. the finger techniques. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are tons of apps out there that can tell you, like, hey, you want a G five? Here's a G five. This is what it's supposed to sound like. If you want that, great. Um, The only time where it gets really tricky is if you're doing open tuning, um, which if you're doing open tuning, you should really know, like that's an advanced technique that you really should learn how to do. Uh, Mm. Take class on it if you need to, um, because it will screw up with your head. Joni Mitchell is notorious for open tuning. And uh, like, and her songs are beautiful, but they are really difficult. Mm-hmm. So if you want to go there, go that route, you can. Um, I find listening to so- like basing songs kind of on what you know 
and then riffing off them also helps. Mm. Uh, I will I will listen to a song multiple times on Spotify uh, until I'm sick of it. And even when I'm sick of it, I'll still listen to it again because I want to at least understand the structure before I start imitating it and then figuring out where I can tweak uh, lyrics, rhythms, melodies. That's perfectly fine. Lots of people do it. Um, it's great. Um, also, get yourself a rhyming dictionary. <laughs> you, can, you can use rhyme zone on the internet and that's fine <laughs> i like things i like things on hand uh a rhyming dictionary i suggest the penguin rhyming dictionary uh because what it has on the back is an index of nearly every word uh imaginable and it'll point you to a page and a section uh, and it'll give you cool. all the rhymes associate all the really good rhymes associated with, and maybe some that are about the same. Um, so it's a really powerful tool in case you get stuck with rhyming. Uh, I get stuck with rhyming all the time, but sometimes I find some really cool stuff in there. Um, and the last thing that I would say is, well, second to last thing. A, rules are meant to be broken. I break them all the time. Please do so. Um, but the second thing is, it's really helpful to, when you're going with a song, kind of getting yourself into a character and thinking, who is the person singing? Who are they singing to? It's like basic acting. Who are you? What do you, who's the other person? What are the what are given circumstances? <laughs> what are the given circumstances? Like really think it like, and you don't have to write them down, but if it helps do that. Um, but really just getting into the headspace of what, what that is, or if you're not, so that's the character based approach, right? If you're doing the story based approach, uh, what is the story that you're trying to tell? What are the beats that you need to make for it? And specifically based on the beats of the story, what structure is going to work really well? If you're going to go for like a rampant, like a drawn out story, I would suggest, you know, a repeating lines with a refrain is a really great, like the hurricane really, really works. If you're going with um, something like a romantic love song between two people, a verse and a chorus is really great. Um, it's simple. It's a recognizable. Uh, it's a really beautiful place for two voices to come together. Uh, bro- I use the example of Broken by Amy Lee featuring uh, Seether featuring Amy Lee. It's a really good example, mostly because it's like semi evanescency but also it's a really good example of two voices coming together and crafting um an int- a really beautiful narrative that comes from character. Mm-hmm. Um, so just l- making sure that when you're writing a song, just have a good understanding of what a ca- what character is singing the song or what store, what the storyteller is trying to convey for an audience. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when you do that, you'll find that I would hope you'll find that, the song sort of comes together as things progress because you're coming from a character or you're coming from a story that's already plotted out in your brain. Um, I say this not 
as a constant reminder that don't take yourself, don't overwhelm yourself. Um, because if you overwhelm yourself, it cuts the process. So just be comfortable with playing. How do you, uh, okay, yeah. So how do you avoid overwhelming yourself? Uh, taking breaks. Uh, I usually like, wa- like melodies and lyrics, like, I'm of the school of like, nothing is sacred. So like, like you can sing lyrics and if it doesn't work for you, it doesn't work for you. You can throw it away, go about your day. Mm -hmm. If you find like, but understand if you find like a melody or a lyric and you you just can't get it out of your head, that is the universe or your body or your voice or your brain telling you that this is important, Mm -hmm. worth writing down, write it down, let it go. If you find just like, come back to it and you need to, and maybe something new will come about. Maybe a memory will come down, write it down, but you don't have to structure anything until you feel like you want to structure something. And then from there, just take the time to build it. And you don't have to take the time. You don't have to build it in one evening. I do it, but that's just because I'm obsessive. Like you can pick things You have the total authority and freedom to pick things up and put them down whenever you need to. Um, And not to get frustrated with the composition process. The composition process is admittedly frustrating because it's hard to know where to come from. Just go where, just go where it feels right to you. If it feels right for you to start at a G, go for a G. If you find midway through the song that "Mm, I wanted to start at an A minor because I wanted to have like a bit of a darker mood go for an A minor. No one's here to stop you. You're the artist. You can do whatever you want. It's just like solo performance. The rules are you are the artist. You can do whatever you want. At the end of the day, you tweak and edit based on what feels unclear, but don't hold anything so sacred. I love that. Yeah. Just this willingness to to change your mind and try new things and play around. That's very cool. Yeah. Improvise. It's, improvisation is, is really key. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's what makes this process so, for me at least, it makes it so much fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's less, it feels li- 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 a little less like, oh my God, there's this playwriting and there's this massive story and you have to come up with all the dramaturgy behind it. And I really have to like make sure all the parts link together so it's like coming up with a poem, go about how you feel. Eventually you'll find your signature in the last, oh, I don't know, 10 hundred songs. But until then, it's less, there's less pressure for you to come up with something perfect. And it takes time. So why not take the time just having fun with it? You know, what's so interesting is um, I feel like all of us, uh, we have playwriting, but then we have this like other form of writing, kind of like yeah, that we, that's so true. You know, like I feel like for me, it's like has been sketch comedy writing that yeah. sort of helps me, and like un- it's a way for me to understand playwriting a little bit better. You know, it's like so yeah, I feel like that's that's really cool that um, that you don't have to be like this one thing of oh, I'm only gonna write plays. I'm a player, blah, blah, blah. but it could you could also be a other form of writer that could help you um, yeah in fact I don't think I know very many playwrights who only yeah write plays and that's the only thing they do yeah so, same a good portion of them are like playwrights and screenwriters yeah right? that's a true lot of them that's so true um 
I Sarah, I'm and you gonna... wrote screenplays too. Mm, yeah, but not like on this. I don't. I'm not having gone really deep into it, but yeah. I people tell me I should write a screenplay, but I hate writing screenplays so much. <laughs> I'll do it. I'll do it if people need me or someone's paying me. I'll, I'll never forget. <laughs> what so do you I, hate about I, it? I I hate how technical it is. Yeah, it's so technical. technical. Like I had like novel writing is is kind of fun. Uh, mostly just because um, although I get really. I'm apparently only four, five chapters in. I'm at 20,000 words and I'm starting to get a little worried. I'm just like, am I doing too much here? Um, am I trying to write War and Peace, but it's not War and Peace? <laughs> well, it's probably uh, better in the first draft to overwrite, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, you yeah, should. Exactly. But what I will say is, so I was having a really hard time with playwriting and I had reached out to Megan Gogarty and she called me uh, and she's like, something I need you to keep in mind is you do not have to be Taylor Swift. (laughs) (laughs) It's a great, like no shade to Taylor Swift, but Taylor Swift is like, I'm not like, I don't want to do country anymore. I want to do pop. And I don't want to do pop. I want to do folk. And here's the thing. You don't have to do one thing. Yeah. Do whatever you want. And for me, I was like, all right, cool songwriting i'm gonna attempt it because i don't want to be if i end up being a playwright who's also a recording artist good for me Haley steinfeld's an actress who does music what's stopping her nothing <laughs> such uh, good advice you don't have to be uh, shia labeouf i think does actually i don't want to know what shia labeouf does um <laughs> there are like Jared, Jared Leto, perfect example. Jared Leto is an actor who has a band named 30 Seconds to Mars that is an awesome emo esque band. Wait, what? He's in, wait, that's, he's in that band? Jared Leto is the lead singer of 30 Seconds to Mars. No, what? Do, do you know? I did not know that. Yeah. yeah. No, no, what? I gotta, okay, I gotta look this up later, but. Yeah, what? Jared Leto I, I, is the lead singer to Thirty Seconds wait, to Mars. Was he in the band first before he became an actor? Wait, what, which was first? Yes, kind of the same. The same. Yeah, wow, he's always my mind is blown. I know, and his voice is insane. Um, wow, I didn't know that. I think it's beautiful. Um, but there are tons of writers who do like really cool stuff. Lisa Crone is a perfect example. Lisa Crone was a solo performer who is also a playwright and still goes back to solo performance every so often. There is nothing in this world other than stupid people <laughs> who are in positions of power, I would argue that or privilege that can tell you that you should do one particular artist because you're always going to be that kind of artist. I think it's a fallacy. And if there's anything coronavirus in our current time has taught me is that a uh, theater as an institution is problematic and needs to be dismantled and rebuilt from the ground up. And B that as an artist, we can do so many other things and we have to, because our lives deserve so much better as does our art our art deserves so much better and people as artists 
deserve so much better for themselves. So go out and do all the things. If you want to be a painter, be a painter. Go ahead. Uh, if you want to be like, I don't know, a, a painter of cat buttholes, go ahead. <laughs> there are there what? are painters like that. There what? are painters. I, I don't even want to know. They're great. They're 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 you know what? And they make thousands of dollars off of memes. So like, don't knock it till you try it. I won't because I'm a crap painter. <laughs> but, um, but it's like that's that's the beauty of now. Do all the art that you need to do, and then we'll all come out of COVID and find out that we were like we did amazing, surprising things, and nobody ever gave us the time of day. But now you have to give us the time of day because we're all really great artists in the making, and sometimes we have secret arts that are actually really good. Except cat butthole artists. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm kind of worried about that one. You shouldn't. It's wonderful. There's a Bob's Burgers episode totally devoted to it. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Now that you say that. Or Um, Gail. (laughs) Gail, yeah. (laughs) All right. Uh, let's move on to glistens. Um, before we do, Ryan, where can our listeners find you? Uh, you can find me on Instagram, singing with a guitar without my shirt on. <laughs> uh, and also pictures of my cat, Lewis. We would be disappointed if you were wearing a shirt. That's true. <laughs> it, it was like, speaking of signatures, signature. <laughs> Don't know um, your signature move to start singing and just rip your shirt off. Yeah, less so now because I'm uh, like because COVID and body dysmorphia, but and the fact that I've gained way more weight than I thought I ever did. Uh, Everybody but, has during this yeah. pandemic. Yeah, I'm 200 pounds now. This is weird for me. Um, it's just part so, of the time we're living in. I know. But the, anyways, Instagram, you can find me on there. Uh, you cannot find me on Twitter anymore, even though technically, because I deactivated it. You can't find me on Facebook anymore because I deactivated it. And I am nearly <laughs> a year of, de- of deactivating it. And it's been great. It's been great, um, yeah. You can find me on, um, I do have a website uh, that I've been needing to update so badly, uh, which is uh, ryanolivera.com. You can find me on New Play Exchange. Uh, that's always a great place to find me. Uh, you can also like emailing me is always a great opportunity as long as it's not spam. Um, and you can find me on LinkedIn. <laughs> um, okay. All right. Thanks, uh, Ryan. Uh, we get it. We got it. We got it. Uh, oh, and SoundCloud. Yeah. But oh, I've okay. been to, to update SoundCloud because I don't have a, a recording in a closet is really difficult. Uh, but one day you're gonna have a recording I'm, studio that you can use, and then you'll just one of these days when COVID nineteen happens and we have a vaccine. But you can find me in all these other places, or um, yeah, or um, if you're if you're a gay man, uh, I'm sorry to say you can't find me on an app. <laughs> on a hookup app. It's uh, it's not my you what app. Taken. You can, like you can't find me on Grinder or Growler or oh. Tinge or Tinder. You're or taken. Uh, well, I'm taken, but I'm open. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, 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 okay. 
So you guys so just... can't find it, but you no one can find you on those apps. But you're open. Yeah, you're just gonna have to Instagram me to find me. Okay. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah, because I am a horrible, horrible flirt. So, um, but yeah, that's <laughs> that's generally where you can find me. <laughs> you're gonna be inundated with friend requests from all of our listeners. Except, except I'm not meeting these people in person because COVID. That's right. That's right. Keep it safe, people. Yes, keep it safe at a distance. All right. Let's move to questions. Let's move on to questions. So we'll do our we're doing our regular glisten, but uh let's also add our favorite song to the theme of uh songwriting. So I could start off first. First of all, my favorite song is um that I feel like I always go back to. Um it's not Taylor Swift. <laughs> uh, it's, How dare um, you. it's just like heaven, the cure. Uh, nice. It's just like a fun poppy song, but it's also sad, <laughs> melancholy. I feel like I listened to that song when I was a, like high, the first time I heard it was middle school or um, freshman year, where I'm like very emo at that time in my life. So that song was mm. just like was a huge part of my life um of growing up fun song it's a fun song to play on guitar too mm-hmm. and i saw the cure uh live um like maybe was it five years ago and it was so weird to see the the band like oh my gosh like this is my childhood band but then like they've been around for like wait like long time and everyone around me is like in their 50s <laughs> um <laughs> I'm not like the only young one person there, but um, but it was that was really cool. Um, so my glisten is this book called Alchemy of Herbs by Rosalie de Le Foret. Um, and it's really cool. It's uh it looks at different herbs and spices, like there's a chapter on each herb and spice, and kind of looking at the history and give you a little information about it, and then like a little recipe, a couple of recipes to go along with it. So what's your favorite herb? Right now, I think. I want to say parsley. Ooh. <laughs> I feel like you could just use parsley in anything and everything. And then also. Yeah. And it's um, like a superfood. It's so good for you. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, they're so resilient. Like you could grow them and they'll just like flourish. Um, but yeah, I like. So far I'm like, oh yeah, I dig fl- parsley right now. I dig it. I dig it. <laughs> dig it. <laughs> Get it. Okay. All right. Next. Um, okay, I'll go next, so then we can save the best for last. Um, okay, so I, my glisten, oh, should I do a song first? Yes. Well, so when Ryan was talking about Joni Mitchell, I started thinking about, I love her song Cactus Tree. That was the one that came into my head. Oh, that's so good. One of my favorites. Um, obviously, there's so many choices of songs, but that's the one I'm choosing. Cactus Tree. And my glisten is... I guess this is kind of along the lines of herbs, um, but like maybe even dorkier. (laughs) There is this website called World's Healthiest Foods, and they have this um, like little program called the Veggie Advisor, where you can say you can enter into this form the number of times you eat different veggies every week. And then they tell you what nutrients you are likely to be missing out on and what vegetables you can add to your diet in order to get that nutrient. 
I understand probably half of our audience just fell asleep while I was saying that. <laughs> I think this is amazing. I found out I have to eat more green peas mm-hmm. and then oh. I went and got some peas because I was, I was um, missing out on choline, choline. I don't know how to say it, but that's what I was missing. Um, I took that test too. And, <laughs> and <laughs> then what I was missing more of is, what was it? Collard? Collard greens? Oh yeah. Collard yeah. greens. Yeah. Did you that's get some? I'm, I did. Well, I got mm. this like bag of like super greens that has like spinach and stuff. Yeah. So I can just like put into cooking. But I feel like I need to eat these vegetables raw. <laughs> like I feel like I just like put a bunch of oil and like sauce and like cooking in. But I feel like I should probably eat it raw sometimes. Well, no, like collard salad. greens I think are better cooked. Yeah, they're they are much so, better cooked. Yeah, you should eat those cooked. I eat so many greens lately. I love greens. I put, joined this like winter greens CSA. So they're all grown in a greenhouse through the winter. I'm just making oh, things at like every meal. Yeah. Good. I know. That's awesome. All right. Ryan, what is your favorite song and glisten? All right. Before I go into my favorite song, where am I doing this world healthiest food? Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm so glad. Okay. So you just, you just search for world's healthiest foods veggie okay. advisor. Veggie. <laughs> I love it so it's much. It's a quiz, right? It's like a, it's kind of like a quiz. It's kind of like a very low tech questionnaire. Yeah, super easy. <laughs> I was going to say the website looks a little, oh, vegetable intake form. Okay. Yeah, that's it. Vegetable All right, cool. Form. I will have to visit this next time. All right. Um, so my favorite song is a tie. Um, I have always been a fan of Iris by the Goo Goo Dolls. Always Ooh. been a fan of that song. It's a beautiful song. It is hell to tune in guitar. And no one does it because they have to tune everything to D except for one note, uh, which is a B. It's a really beautiful mandolin sounding sound. Um, but... Uh, it is a beautiful song in its own right. I've always liked the uh, the Goo Goo Dolls uh, songwriting because it's dark and bittersweet. Um, the second is Colder Weather by Zach Brown Band. That's a country song um, that is, it's just so heartfelt. And um, it's a beautiful soaring chorus. And it's, uh, it's, outro is just uh, it just it hurts my heart when I sing it and it hurts my heart when I listen to it um so yeah so I I love both of those songs I love so many songs but those are the both that stand out to me uh glistens um so this is morbid um uh oh <laughs> I have been watching. <laughs> I have been watching. So I need to stop watching YouTube. That's the first thing. Uh, the second thing, though, is uh, what I've been watching on YouTube. I have been watching flight crash simulations. What, um, Ryan? <laughs> I, look, Malaysia Airlines Flight Three Seventy is on my mind again. Yeah. Uh, which is the flight that disappeared over the Indian Ocean. And so I was looking on YouTube and I guess YouTube 
overheard at some point or was pouring through my emails and was like, you might be interested in this. And so I was. Uh, so I've been watching these flight crash simulators of famous flights. Wow. Uh, that sounds scariest, so upsetting. It, well, it's fascinating because, uh, you learn there's so there are, there are some that are really di- distressing. German wings is a super distressing one. Um, because it's like the pilot is locked out with a co-pilot is legitimately trying to steer the plane into a mountain. It is it is terrifying. Uh, Japan Airlines Fly 123 is probably the most terrifying. Um, there was another one that was a flight from Rio to France where they ended up inverting and like nobody knew what was happening in the middle of the ocean at night. Oh my God. I, like, it, it, it boggles my brain. I can't um, watch things like that because then it makes it just impossible for me to fly. Well, it's impossible for us to fly now. I know, <laughs> but like ever again. <laughs> like the fact is that they're rare. Um, they're rare, but they're really fascinating in how, like, how technology can fail us, um, and how, like, it makes me like understand how how heroic it is to have to attempt to steer a flight. And I keep thinking like to myself, is there a way for more people to survive a plane crash? There must be some way. Mm. I I just don't like, how do you have, have these big hunkers of, of metal flying through the air and we have no safety precautions for them. Like we do, well, we do have safety precautions for them, but half the time they don't work. But there um, are, there actually are a lot of cases where, you know, in an emergency landing, people survive. And I remember yes. reading an article a few years ago. Well, it was really an op-ed about how you really should pay attention when the flight attendants are giving their little speech at the beginning, because, um, Yes, obviously, if you plummet out of the sky from 10,000 feet, you're not going to survive. But a lot of times the pilot is able to do like a water landing or an emergency landing in a field or something. And if you follow the emergency evacuation guidelines, people can survive. Yes, exactly. And you will be happy to know that not all flight crash simulations end with all the people dying. Sometimes it opens with like, no one like like everyone survived and it's beautiful and great um i'm just really fascinated by that stuff because i'm <laughs> i'm just fascinated by tragedy in general and i think coronavirus <laughs> is just really yeah. up that ante there um and the fact that malaysia airlines flight 370 to this day still haunts me um and mm-hmm. i just mm-hmm. i Did still they, and that's I the still, one they never found right yeah i think so never recovered and like the accounts are that the flight, so the pilot had suddenly ascended, knocking everyone unconscious. Right, and right, then it just, right. It just flew on autopilot into the southern in the ocean until it just sank. Right, right, right. I remember because it that. ran out of fuel. Yeah, and apparently no one, like no one survived. Obviously. But supposedly no one was conscious. So in a weird way, it's a, it's a quote, good death. 
um, especially when they notice it. I'm also really fascinated by the idea of what is a good death because I think about coronavirus all the time mm. and the idea that people are socially distanced and from their loved ones. And if you're socially distanced and dying alone, it's such a big fear for everyone, for a lot of folks. And what does it mean to, what does it mean? What does it mean to really consider and prepare? How do we prepare for a good death? Mm. How do we make that happen for people? Cause I don't, I think, I don't think we think about that a lot. We think about the fact that we live forever, but, you know, we don't, A. But B, we should also be empathetic about folks, about how we allow folks to pass um, and what we allow folks to pass with. And I think... And I think I also stems for the fact that when we first moved and coronavirus happened, like... My boyfriend lost his cat um, mm. and Vic, she passed and she had to, we had to like drop her off at the vet and we couldn't be in the room when it happened. Yeah. That's- and that to me is a terrifying feeling. It is the sad, it is one of the saddest feelings I've experienced. And I can only imagine what that's like about people in person. Yeah. I, I can only imagine. And for me, it's like, what, how is my goal as an artist to help provide that, to provide some sort of solace or to come up with like the answer to that question? I don't think I can, which Dare will be very proud for of that fact. But um, it's worth, I don't know, it's worth meditating about. I think it's worth meditating about in these times. Definitely. Morbid as it is. Yeah, I completely agree. Well, Sorry. <laughs> thanks for this Debbie Downer. Um, <laughs> now that we've all gotten depressed. feel better, um, if it makes people feel better. I've also been trying to uh, find, por- like, look up Portuguese food. And I finally found a YouTube where someone had, like, pork with clams. And it is the single best dinner I've ever had in Portugal. Ooh. And I was like, I have to recreate this. That's I, let's it, let's stick with that. Listen, yeah, <laughs> that sounds yeah, really and positive also, and yummy. I also, it's, but it's too late. It's too late. I'm already <laughs> thinking of the planes crashing and <laughs> right, right, people dying right, alone. Right, if this helps, if this helps, do you remember when I brought cheese bread to a workshop? Oh yeah, that was so think good. about that cheese bread. I recreated it again, and I didn't think people would like it. And Al, my boyfriend Alex, was like, I like. Tell, like give me the recipe i want to do this again i want to do this for myself yeah, that was like, so yummy. it's really easy <laughs> um, uh but yeah it's 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 nice being able to amidst all the morbid stuff around us it's important to learn know that you can create very good memories and beautiful art and comfort with food so go do it. that yeah go do that people Especially now Especially this week. Yeah, especially because we can't be together with everybody. So mm-hmm. you've got to find ways to yeah, create that for yourself. Yeah, create your all that Thanksgiving. Only your immediate household people. But here's the thing, Sam. You can create all the Thanksgiving dishes that you hate in family gatherings <laughs> you love. Like, <laughs> I'm going to do cranberry from a can. Why? Because I love it, and I don't care anybody else likes it, like hates it. 
it is beautiful. It is my truth for Thanksgiving. So do that. All right. Well, on that note, <laughs> we are closing out the show with uh, with your song, Oh Mercury. Ryan, thank you so much for coming on to the thank show. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Always a pleasure. I love you guys. Y'all. are failing to keep open I've been driving this car past empty and broken but I got a mind to get home However I can Oh Mercury If you're out there Hurry please Speed me back to where I used to be Before I break down Along the highway Don't let me die today another episode of Beckett's Babies. If you enjoyed what you heard or learned a thing or two about playwriting, be sure to like, subscribe, and share the podcast with your friends. And if you'd like to reach out and share with us your thoughts on playwriting and theater or maybe be a guest on the show, uh, be sure to visit our website at www.beckettsbabies.com. That's www.beckettsbabies.com and you can contact us there. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.